Welcome to The Movement with your host, Shannon D. Hughes. In your life, do you celebrate the downfalls along with the peaks? You should. These define you as the person you are and help you learn your way to personal success. Now, here is the host of The Movement, Shannon D. Hughes. May 1st, and there are 245 days left in 2019. And if you have not gotten started by now, you will after this show today. I am Shannon D. Hughes, and I am the host, and you are now part of the movement. And we have a very special show today, and I just wanted to uh, get almost right in on it, but I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to this fabulous replay uh, later today on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. And, uh, and as always, the movement can be heard every week, every Wednesday at at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific here on Voice America and the Influencers Channel. We are live on Wednesdays. Everybody say it's a podcast. Well, it's sort of a podcast, but it's a live show every week, and it, and it can't get any better than we have today because we share the ups and downs, pitfalls, victories, and what is to co- come, and we con- stories that connect the human spirit, and this show definitely embodies that today. So I, rem- I know if everybody's listening to this show, we all remember when you were a kid and they say, please go ahead and make a wish. And you would make a wish and you would hope that your wish would come true. Well, this young man that's going to be on this interview today has done that as well. He is the creator and founder of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Uh, extraordinary charity grants that, w- that make grants wishes to children with life-threatening illnesses. From its humble beginnings of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, it's now a global organization that grants child- children's wishes everywhere. And on the world average, about every 28 minutes, if I read that correctly. This man was in the U.S. Air Force veteran, has a long, distinguished career in law enforcement, began as an Arizona Highway Patrol motorcycle officer and retired a homicide detective with with uh, 42 years of service been featured in numerous publications television shows and received several awards including the white house call to service award from president george w bush in 2015 joined six u.s presidents as well as nobel prize winners and industry leaders as a recipient of the ellis island medal of honor in december of 2015 this man was presented with the honorary doctorate degree doctor of public service from the Ohio State University, I've always wanted to say that, on December 30th of 2015, was identified as one of the 10 most amazing Arizonians in front of page article in the Arizona Republic newspaper. And on joint January 5th, 2016, identified in Forbes magazine article as top 10 keynote speaker. I could do this all day, but I only got this man for an hour. So the, the movement welcomes Frank Shankrins. Welcome to the movement. How are you, sir? Well, Shannon, uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me. And second, I love the introduction of this young man. <laughs> <laughs> well, for Frank, I got to keep you on. I got to keep my guests happy, first of all. And then secondly, I'm sure you noticed I was stumbling over your words because I, I'm actually a little nervous. I must freely admit on this live interview, I've always been impressed with you with you as well and everything that you've done and what I failed to mention as well you have a movie coming out about your life called wish man everyone can be a hero on June 7th and we're going to talk about that a little bit later so Frank what I would like to do if I may ask you uh, what we like to do at the movement we like to start with the beginnings of your movement so Frank can you let the world know about yourself like, as a youth? Tell us where you were born and raised, and maybe tell us a little bit about your family life as a youngster. Yeah, I, I was born in Chicago. and Whoa, um, that. 
Yeah, yeah, and and that's where we're talking from, correct, Chicago? Yeah, that is, that is correct, sir. Yeah, yeah, the Windy City. But wow. um, kind of a traumatic childhood, that so many other children, same thing back then, and this is in the 40s and even today. But uh, at age two, my mother divorced, my father uh, took off. We never knew where. Even in later years, she would never say where she went. Um, very happy childhood between ages two and five with my, my dad, my grandparents, uh, aunts, uncles, cousins. I mean, just a great, great childhood. At age five, I was in kindergarten. A lady came up, grabbed me off a playground, said, I'm your mother. You're going with me. I had no idea who she was. She kidnapped me off the playground and uh, started the next five years of this very nomadic-type lifestyle. Um, she said, we're going to Arizona, and we didn't study geography quite in fifth grade, our first grade, <laughs> kindergarten, I mean. <laughs> had no idea where uh, Arizona was, but right. she took this strange route and went up to northern Michigan, uh, I later learned, and mm-hmm. for the first summer, we lived in a tent, uh, very poor, and what the whole thing was, she was trying to keep me away from my father, and whatever mm. her issue was, I don't know, but I uh, lived in a tent. Um, Food was always an issue. She would get a waitress job uh, in a little town, um, get fired, another waitress job somewhere else. Uh, left me by myself most of the time. When the snows came in Michigan, uh, she went and found an old deserted farmhouse that we lived in. Again, heat, normal living conditions that you would like to experience were not available. It was just a whole traumatic time. Mm-hmm. Um, and... My father did find us when I was 10 years old. My father did find us and got the local sheriff was going to come out and arrest her for a kidnapping charge. And during that short period, she got everything we had threw it in the back of a car. And off we went on the journey to Arizona. Um, We got outside of just outside of a little town called Seligman, Arizona on old route 66. And I don't Mm. know if any of your, Listeners maybe remember the Disney animated movie Cars. Oh, yes. Uh, and in that, uh, the fictional town in Cars was Radiator Springs. And Radiator Springs is, in fact, Sligman, Arizona. That's what the, the Disney animators um, patterned that off of. Okay. But just outside of that town, completely ran out of gas, uh, pulled to the side of the road. She's crying. It's the first time I ever saw her cry. She's a very tough woman. Uh-huh. And a rancher stopped by, what's wrong? Um, she just explained the situation. He said, I will get you some gas. You come into town. Little town, Sligman is a little town of 500 people, predominantly Mexican, Indian. And um, it was a division point for the Santa Fe Railroad, uh, obviously on Route 66, so it had some restaurants in that. And also uh-huh. big stockyards for the ranching community surrounding ranches. And he said, you can come and live with us until you get on your feet. It's a very small house. Unfortunately, you're going to have to slip on the, sleep on the kitchen floor in some bedrolls. But <clears throat> for me, it was the first time we'd lived in a town, and, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, we had shelter for this first time because we were with them for six weeks living in the house. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, we got food. This was the first time we had regular meals. And I got a job at 10 years old. I got a job full-time uh, washing dishes as a dishwasher. My mother got a job as a motel maid. I was making more money than she was. I was making a whole $26 a week, and she was making about $15 a week. But I'd never had any friends because she always lived where I couldn't have playmates, friends, 
I could never get involved in any type of school activities, sports, etc. Mm-hmm. And there was a gentleman that uh, across the street from where I work was building something. I went over one day and I said, hi, what are you building? And he said, what's your name? And I said, well, my name is Frank. And he said, no, from now on, it's Poncho, meaning Frank <laughs> in Spanish. Gotcha. And he said, uh, he said, my name's Juan, uh, but the people around town call me Juan. And I, right away, I could see this <laughs> man had a great sense of humor. <laughs> and he said, grab a hammer, kid. And uh, I and help me build this. And when you do, I'm building what's called a snow cap, which is like a Dairy Queen. And when it's finished, I'll give you the first hamburger. And mm. I had no idea. Like I said, never had this father figure to teach me these type of skills. And Juan became my father figure, my mentor, uh, starting at age ten, teaching me the carpentry skills, just the things that most kids know at that age. Juan also got me involved with sports. I'd never played any type of sports. Uh, got me involved with the, the uh, grade school basketball team. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, got me involved with playing high school football for practicing. Even though I couldn't play, I learned the fundamentals of the game. This is before Pop Warner. Okay. But the biggest thing Juan taught me was uh, the, the work ethic, uh, how to mm-hmm. develop character, how to develop integrity. And he said to me, those two traits are not inherited. They are developed, which I still remind people today. Yes. But the biggest thing he said to me is, Frank, when you can help somebody and give back. Now, this is 1950s, Shannon. This is not a popular term like it is now. I said, mm-hmm. Juan, what do you mean, give back? How can I? We don't have a thing. People, the poor people are feeding us. Right. And he said, you don't have to have money to give back. He said, look at, for instance, Mrs. Sanchez, the widow Sanchez. She has weeds in her yard. She needs painted. The porch needs repairing. You're old enough. You're big enough to do that because she's always bringing your mom and you beans and tortillas to help you guys out. You can go and do that. Look at Mr. Ortega. They're also helping you uh, feed you. And they've got an old wrecked boxcar from the Santa Fe line they brought into town. They're trying to fix up to make it the family home of all things. You can help clean and paint that. And I learned that right away. That was a very valuable lesson to give back, to help somebody whenever you could. Uh, just fast-forwarding, when I started seventh grade, uh, I came home. We, we had picked up an old wreck travel trailer that we were able to fix up and put on a, a dirt lot behind a motel where my mother worked, and that was home. But it didn't have hot water. Uh, it it uh, didn't have a working shower. So we would, the Santa Fe would allow us kids, us male kids, obviously, to go to the uh, workers' locker room and uh, clean up and that. We were the cleanest kids in town, really. (laughs) 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 All all the hot water you wanted. But I I came home from work, and the trailer is having tires put on, and I asked my mother what's going on. She says, I can't afford you anymore. I'm leaving. I'm going to a town called Prescott, Arizona. And uh, you're on your own. And that's like I know my home is driving away. And I went to Juan, kind of upset like any kid would be. And Juan, what do I do? And this is the most important thing he ever said to me. Always learn to turn the negative into the positive. Now, again, this is in the 50s, not a popular term like mm-hmm. it is now. And I said, Juan, what do you mean? My house just left me. My mother left me. He said, I've arranged for you to live with, in fact, the widow Sanchez. She's going to charge you $20 a week, room and board, and for the first time in your life, you're going to have $6 in your own money, because everything I ever made went straight to my mother. He right. said, that's a positive. He said, the other positive is, you lived in that crummy old trailer, now you're going to live in this nice house that you helped fix up, 
but you're going to have your own bedroom for the first time. You're going to have indoor plumbing. That's a positive. The biggest positive, he said, was she's the best cook in town. You're not going to have to worry about meals. And that was, that was no arguing about that. And then the other thing was she got the first television set in Sligman, Arizona. And all of a sudden I could watch the Mickey Mouse Club and that, you know, all that fun stuff of that era. Wow. So, again, all those, all those negatives into the positive. But the biggest thing he taught me was never feel sorry for yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're a little bit hungry and you get some food, be so thankful for that food. You get some new clothes, be thankful for that. Never do the old woe is me thing. And I remembered that through my whole life. Um, when I started uh, ready to start high school, my mother contacted me. She said, I need you to move to Prescott. I need you to get a job. I need your help. I can't afford this by myself. Now, we didn't have a close relationship, Shannon. Right. She is my mother. I respect right. her. Yes. And I did. I moved to Prescott. And the biggest thing was, all of a sudden, now I'm in a high school that's big enough where they've got, I can play uh, sports, basketball, football. And uh, right away, tried out for uh, the football team. And this is in the summer. Uh, the coach says, you've made it. The school tells the coach he is at a uh, eighth grade level in math. We're going to put him back a year. The coach says, no, you're not. And work with me all summer on my algebra, et cetera, uh, skills and took the test and passed it. And again, here's somebody that's helping me out. And I always respected the coaches, the teachers, everybody in the town that helped me out. Uh, following high school, joined the U.S. Air Force. Um, and this is a Vietnam era, but I was not sent to Vietnam. Our unit was uh, ordered to Vietnam, but all of a sudden our bomber squadron was sent over to England. And uh, mm. spent four years over in England, uh, enjoyed every bit of the service. And I was in what they called then the Air Police. And uh, because of the things that Juan taught me about the work ethic, about always looking good, being sharp, you don't have to be rich to look good. Just always posture, cleanliness, etc. And was right. selected for the base honor guard. And during high school, I, I really enjoyed uh, history. In fact, I got was one of the A students in history. And uh, World War II, especially the Battle of Britain, and following the adventures of uh, Prime Minister Churchill. And I was so honored for me when Winston Churchill died, I was selected to be on the honor guard for the final leg of the funeral procession, which to me was just an honor. And I started thinking about Juan. If it wasn't for him teaching me these ethics and so on, this may have never happened. Uh, Following the Air Force, I went to work for Motorola in Phoenix. Motorola was looking for especially people that had top clearance, uh, top secret clearances, because they were working on now the Atlas missile programs along with the Sidewinder missiles, et cetera, but the space race for the Atlas. And the reason they were, they were looking for us so much is they wanted to send us to college along with our GI Bill and develop us into engineers because the current list of engineers that were graduating with the degrees could not pass the background test because of drug usage. Okay. <laughs> now, now this is in the this is in the uh, mid sixties, late sixties. Okay, I was about to job. ask you. That was somebody had to be around the sixties. Okay, I got you. Right, right. The whole area of sex, drugs, rock and roll, and that. And yes, sir. Very okay. Qualified education, but they could not pass background tests. Okay. And Motorola was great. I mean, the advancement there. Uh, I'm making more money than I ever made in my life. Terrific job. They treated me good. But I was a little bored. I'm a small-town boy. I didn't like living in the city. 
um, basically the same thing. And I ended up being my math teacher's left at this a uh, statistical engineer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> trying to trying to determine <laughs> trying to determine the failure rates of particular components in the missile, uh, etc. And this is the days before computers, so it's all slide rules, chalkboards, right. everything else. A great mm. job. <laughs> and a lot of my uh, high school friends had joined after their college. They joined the Arizona Highway Patrol, and they kept saying, "Frank, why don't you join? You're kind of adrenaline junkie uh, with your background in uh, service." And especially engineering, you'd be a perfect fit. Guys, I say, guys, I make in one week what you make in a month, and I'm just, I can't get live, leave that salary. Right. But after, like I said, seven years, I just started thinking about it. And I said, just on a whim, I'm going to put it in an application. Uh, again, there was 1,000 applicants, and they only chose 50. And the reason they narrowed that down so much, again, because of drugs. Uh, applicants couldn't pass the uh, drug test. Mm. And, and I was offered the position. I said, what the heck, let's try this. Greatest decision I ever made. Like you mentioned, 42 years later, I retired. Wow. But, uh, but I was assigned first down to, as a car officer, down to Yuma, Arizona, on the uh, California-Mexican-Arizona border. Okay. And I was also continuing taking college courses. And one of the football coaches came up and said, I know you're a coach back from your days in Prescott. And uh, I'd like you to get involved, if you would, with the Special Olympics program. Now, I'd never heard of this, Shannon. I, I didn't know what Special Olympics was. And he okay. explained that you'd be working with these kids. We'd really like you to work with them with a baseball and football throw. Uh, you're also in track, so teach them some of that. Uh, Coach, that sounds great. I'd like to do that in my spare time, obviously. Really enjoyed working with these kids, Shannon. They were so neat. And I'm having a good time doing this. And all of a sudden, I started thinking about Juan again, about giving back. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Juan, I think I'm starting to give back here working with these kids. After a couple of years in Yuma, our commanders came up and they invited me and a couple other people up to Phoenix headquarters and explained they're going to start a new uh, motorcycle unit and they're going to have a 10-man motorcycle tax squad that's going to work the whole state of Arizona and ask if I would be one of the applicants to go through motor school to see if I could do that. And I agreed, went through motor school, obviously passed, and we started this new unit again working the whole state of Arizona. Now, this is the period now where the TV show Chips was very popular. Very, very. One of my favorite shows as a kid. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, and if it is, Shannon, you're showing your age. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, and yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for the listeners that don't know what that show was, uh, Chips was the adventures of the two California Highway Patrol motorcycle officers, Ponch and John, and uh, with Eric Estrada and... Uh, I just went blank. <laughs> Larry, Will- Larry Wilcox. Wilcox who I Larry got to Wilcox, last yes. Month, actually. Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah, and it was especially popular with the younger set. Uh, the the, four, the seven-year-old, the 14-year-olds just loved this show. Yes. And as we would go on our, our working in these little towns, it was always two-man teams. All of a sudden, the kids are yelling at us, hey, Ponch, hey, John, <laughs> and, and waving at us. And all of a sudden, we're the good guys instead of the bad guys. And I asked our commanders if we could, uh, on our off time in these little towns, um, go to the local grade schools and talk about bicycle safety, which we did. The kids could care less about They just wanted to get all over the motorcycles. But it was great <laughs> PR. It was great PR. The kids loved it. We loved it. Uh, our commanders loved it. They thought it was a pretty good deal. In uh, 1978, 
uh, our whole squad was assigned to an area called Parker, Arizona, on the uh, by the Colorado River on Arizona California border, and that was an Eastern time, and it became a little town of Parker. Two thousand people grew to that area of eighty-five thousand or more, with the kids okay. on spring break, the college kids, high school kids, mm-hmm. uh, just all sorts of drunks, homicides, you name it, drugs, oh. and. Um, I was involved with a high-speed chase, 85 miles an hour in a 25 zone, and a drunk driver pulled right in front of me, and I hit them at 85 miles an hour broadside, and I was told the crash was spectacular, um, and I was pronounced dead at the scene. Mm. And I'll explain that because you and I are talking. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I said, please yeah. follow this up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but my my partner tried to remind me he couldn't do it. He called in the code. The officer killed in line of duty. An off-duty emergency room nurse from California stopped and said, let me try and revive him. They said, he, he, we can't. There's no pulse, no heartbeat. And this is over a minute now. And for four minutes, she performed CPR mouth-to-mouth. And uh, if anybody, listeners, has ever performed CPR for four minutes, one minute is exhausting. Four minutes, yes. I don't know how she did that, but extremely exhausting. She wouldn't give up. And obviously, she revived me. And um, I, I woke up to this beautiful blonde <laughs> with a lip lock on me. <laughs> and at first, I thought, if this is heaven, <laughs> this is all right. <laughs> but I also learned that my partner tried to revive me, and big, ugly guy, mustache full of bugs and everything. I'm so glad I didn't wake up to him, though. It might still yeah, be on traumatic the flip, to On the flip day. side, there's that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my but God. And, and it, took, it took several months to recover from that accident. Uh, traumatic okay. brain injury, skull fracture, uh, broken bones, missing skin. And I had to go, when I was ready to go back to work, had to go to uh, psychological counseling, make sure my mind was right to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And one of the last sessions the counselor told me, he said, God spared you for a reason. And it's up to you to find out that reason. And I found out that reason a couple of years later when our department, the Arizona Highway Patrol, was told about a little boy named Chris, seven years old, who had terminal leukemia. Mm. And they were told that Chris had a, a wish. He wanted to be a Highway Patrol motorcycle officer like a Ciro's Punch and John. Mm. And is there any way that the department could maybe make that happen? And with permission of his mother, his doctors, our department said, yes, we can. And they picked Chris up in our state police helicopter at his hospital and flew him to our headquarters in Phoenix. Now, I was on assignment about 120 miles of Phoenix up in the mountains. When I get a, a call from the dispatcher, I need you to check out at a telephone. Now, there's no, this is 1980. There's no cell phones, no Internet, anything like that during this period. And she said, we have emergency traffic that does not involve your family, uh, but just get to a payphone right away. Forty miles was the closest payphone. She calls and she tells, us about, tells me about Chris. Mm-hmm. And she says, the commanders want you to be the motorcycle officer standing by when a helicopter lands and for Chris to meet you. And I was chosen because, I guess because of what I work with the children around the state. Right. And uh, a fast trip down to Phoenix, and they timed it just as I was pulling in the landing zone. The helicopter was approaching. I had no idea what to expect, and I never met this little boy. I knew he'd just come off IVs. I knew he only had a short time to live. I expected our paramedics to help him out of the helicopter. 
The helicopter lands, doors open, out jumps a little red pair of sneakers. <laughs> this little boy <laughs> running to the motorcycle. Hi, I'm Chris. Can I get on your motorcycle? This little boy is laughing and giggling. And now we, we had trained initially with California Highway Patrol, and our equipment, motorcycles were identical. Our uniforms were almost identical, except ours obviously says Arizona. But this little boy had watched ships so much that he knew every little switch and button on that motorcycle. Mm. These are the red lights. Can I turn it on? This is the siren. Can I turn it? These are the flashers. What's in your saddlebag? It's the same as punch. <laughs> he is having so much fun. And I looked at his mother, and she's crying. And, and I could understand that. And then it dawned on me, she has her seven-year-old back. Instead of laying in the hospital with IVs, this little boy is just having so much fun. And in those days, we were allowed to give the kids a ride on our motorcycles in the parking lots. And I said, Chris, would you like to go for a ride? Because he wants to be a motorcycle officer. And he got very nervous, very serious, and he just shaky voice, no. And I said, well, okay, all right, Chris, you just rode in a helicopter. And he looked at me very seriously, and he said, helicopters have doors. <laughs> <laughs> very, very, he's he's yeah. not wrong. <laughs> yeah, we we learned we learned that doors were very important to Chris. And just then, one of our squad cars pulled up, and I said, "How would you like to help this sergeant drive the police car here?" And he said, "Yeah, because it has doors." <laughs> and driving around the park, and there are ledge lights and siren, and he's chewing bubble gum, and he blew this biggest bubble I'd ever seen as he's driving. And I looked at his mother and I said, there's our bubblegum trooper. And she <laughs> laughed and she, in fact, wrote a book titled The Little Bubblegum Trooper, which I think is still wow. available on Amazon today. Wow. So Chris went on that day to become the first and only honorary highway patrol officer in the history of our highway patrol. Now, this is, uh, we're just celebrating, in fact, yesterday, our 39th anniversary of meeting this little boy. Wow. And um, complete with his certificate, making him an honorary uh, highway patrolman. The smoke he had, his own badge, which is still assigned to him today. Mm. Uh, he got to meet the director. He got to go to the armory. What little boy doesn't like that? Dispatch center. And it's time to go. And his doctor who was with him said, I don't understand. His vitals are so good. Let him go home. Let him be in right. his comfort zone tonight instead of back in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Now, when he left, we felt good with what we did. And one of the officers said, we have a highway patrol, but he needs a uniform. And in those oh, days, wow. uniforms were, were tailor-made. We went right. to the uniform shop. We said, we got this little boy, seven years old, this high, this wide. Will you make a uniform? Two ladies spent all night making a uniform for Chris. I was authorized the next morning to lead a whole group of motorcycle officers, squad cars to his neighborhood. Eight in the morning, red lights and siren. You can imagine the neighbors, right? <clears throat> Comes running out. We show him his uniform. He is just beaming. A quick change artist goes in the house, comes out just strutting in his new uniform. But he comes over to me, and he wants to get back on the motorcycle, and he's rubbing the wings that a motorcycle officer wears on our uniform. And he says, I want to be a motorcycle officer. I wish I could be a motorcycle officer. Now, that's the first time I heard that word, wish. Right. And I told Chris, well, I told the training that we went through, and I just kind of teased him a little bit. I said, it's a shame you don't have a motorcycle. We put up traffic cones right in your driveway and test you right now. This little boy's a step ahead of me. He runs in the house and comes riding out on a little battery-operated motorcycle oh that his mother God. got for him in place of a wheelchair. He's got on the helmet wave again, but he's got on aviator glasses. 
that his mother had bought for him. But what really I started laughing is on the rancher, we call them the high-top mucking boots, the high-top rubber boots. <laughs> He's got a pair of those on that look like motorcycle boots with his pants legs tucked in. <laughs> he goes oh, my God. Court. Frank Shankwitz, the creator and founder of the Make-A-Wish Foundation and movie about his life, um, Wishman, due out June 7th, is my guest today here on The Movie. Frank, I would like to take a very short break. And I want to get into a little bit more about the Make-A-Wish Founders. And we have to talk about this movie about your amazing life that you've so brilliantly uh, just painted a picture for us in the first half of the show, which I truly appreciate. So we're going to take a small break. We'll be back with the creator and founder of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, Frank Shankwich, right here on The Movement right after this. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. If your life needs some structure and direction, you may need a life coach. Interested? Contact Shannon at SDHughesEnterprises at gmail.com for a free 30-minute consultation. Trying to find a buyer for your home? Tired of paying fees and commissions? Need to get out of your home quickly with no fuss? Real market experts can help. Get a cash offer on your home today. Our nationwide network of investors will ensure you receive the best price for your home in Chicago and the Chicagoland area. Get started now. Call 1-800-SELL-NOW or 708-887-0795. You can also visit our website at realmarketexperts.com slash IL. Is your credit card processor for your business charging you high processing rates? Do you need an upgrade of your current credit card processing terminal and would like it for free? Let North American Bank Card lower those processing rates and qualify you for a free brand new credit card processing terminal. Call Shannon for a free statement analysis, 708-887-0795 or email Shannon at sdhughesenterprises at gmail.com. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are listening to The Movement. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send an email or if you are looking to be a sponsor for The Movement, contact the show via email to shannon at shannondehughes-themovement.com. That's shannon at shannondehughes-themovement.com. We'd love to hear from you. Always like comments from my movement nation, Shannon at Shannon D. Hughes the movement.com. If you have any questions, comments uh, to my guest, Frank Shankwitz, a founder of the Make a Wish Foundation, who is my uh, guest today. And obviously, the Voice America like to thank him for being a part of the show today. And again, the movement can be held live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, here on Voice America's Influencers Channel. And I want Frank to finish up that amazing story about that uh, that that young tyke there that just just won you over. I, I want you to please go ahead and finish your story. Well, I was mentioning that Chris uh, wanted to do, uh, be a motorcycle officer, and in fact, he took his test on that little batter opera motorcycle. Uh, he passed it. The first thing he came to me was, uh, "When do I get my wings?" which was very important to him now to be a motorcycle officer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those had to be specially ordered also, and I told Chris, we will, I will okay. order those. And Chris got to stay home again that day. 
A couple days later, I get the call of the wings because the special made were ready. I pick them up. I get a call from a dispatcher again, check out on the telephone. She tells me, Chris is in a hospital, in a coma. He's probably not going to survive the day. And the commanders mm-hmm. have given permission to go to the hospital. I go to the hospital. I walk in his room. His uniform is hanging right by his bed. Just as I pin the wings, the motorcycle wings on his uniform, Chris comes out of the coma. Very weak. He looks at me. Am I a motorcycle officer now? Yes, you are, Chris. His wish had become true. He asked for his uniform. He's rubbing the wings. He's just a little weak smile. A couple hours later, he passes away. And I always Mm. like to think maybe those wings helped carry him to heaven. Wow. Our commanders commanders learned Chris is going to be buried in a little town called Kewanee, Illinois, uh, southwest Mm. of Chicago, and asked me and a fellow motorcycle officer to go back. They said, we have lost a fellow officer. We would like you to go back and give him a full police funeral, which we did. And again, mm-hmm. this is before the Internet, but the media, the local TV stations are picking this up. And when we got to this little town of Kewanee, the word had gotten out. We were met by Illinois State Police, City Police, County Police, all mm-hmm. in a procession to give this little boy a full police funeral. And he was buried in uniform. His grave marker reads, Chris Gracious, Arizona Trooper. But flying home, Shannon, I just started thinking, his little boy had a wish, and we made it happen. Why can't we do that for other children? And that's when the idea of making a wish was born, uh, maybe 36,000 feet over Kansas or somewhere, uh, to mm. start this whole foundation, which has grown, as you said, worldwide, all because yes. of one little boy. Wow. So let me ask, when you started the foundation, Frank, um, Obviously, you, you just told the story about kind of where it started to, um, you know, where you say, okay, we need to do this. Tell me what you were, like, did you want it to do exactly like that, only for children? Did you want it to do, how did you kind of start that, that ball rolling and then just to see where it is now? What was what was Frank's, like, first few steps getting getting it going and getting it the attention that, look where it is now? How did you, how did you do that? Well, and that said, I, I did want to do it for children uh, because of the fact that I work with children so much. And right. being a, a police officer, um, how many deaths I've seen, how many children I've pulled out of cars where all of a sudden they're orphans or, in fact, they're deceased themselves. And I wanted this for children. And I wanted, and when we started, this was for children with terminal illnesses because right. leukemia in those days was a death sentence. The children were not going to survive. Now, 39 years later, through the grace of God, modern uh, medicine, more and more children are surviving. That's why the Make-A-Wish Foundation now, the mission is for children with life-threatening illnesses. But how do you start a foundation? I have no idea. I'm a police officer. Uh, I research, uh, again, no Internet. Go to the library, research how to start this. The hardest thing was to find uh, four other people. In Arizona, we needed five people to start a nonprofit and to find four other like-minded people. Because everybody I went to said, this is, this is a bad idea. It's not going to work. Uh, nobody's mm-hmm. ever heard of this. And, right. I, again, I thought of one, turn those negatives to the positive. Mm-hmm. And finally found the people that could make that the positive. Um, and I was the first president and CEO. And one of the things people say, uh, I never took a salary. They commended me on that. I said, I had a job. Why would I want to take a salary? This is going for the children. We want to make this grow and grow. And after a few years, um, we decided, the board decided, we're going to have to get somebody, a professional in a nonprofit world to run this, which is a great decision. Uh, 
because we did that. We hired, the first time we hired somebody, and over the years, look what they've made it grow to. The largest children's nonprofit uh, in the world with 63 chapters in the United States, 36 international chapters on five continents, with right now approaching over a half a million wishes granted just because of one little boy. Wow. Wow. Let me ask, um, when you're in your travels, when the Make-A-Wish Foundation was starting to grow and get some traction here, tell me about some of the, I don't know if you want to share maybe a, a story here or there about some of the, the wishes that you granted, tell me, or, and, and maybe, and, and obviously there are celebrities that have become involved in that. So maybe take me to how celebrities kind of became involved with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Well, initially, we would, we would reach out to uh, celebrities, uh, the sports stars, your TV, movie, um, and just reach out personally to them and explain the mission. And as we develop credibility, uh, they wanted to do this. I mean, so many of these celebrities want to help the kids. They're, they're the role models for the kids, especially the sports figures, and just wanted to do that. And it's grown day where uh, there's this long list of celebrities we even – have the, with the foundation as a celebrity coordinator that when they get a wish from a chapter, let's say in Chicago, they contact the coordinator and arrange for that to happen for them. And just some of the great ones over the years from your, your, your Michael Jordan. I mean, my gosh, the man did so much for the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even sometimes taking them to his favorite place over in the Bahamas. <laughs> wow. Wow. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That is amazing. I, and it's funny because when I look at the Make-A-Wish now, um, like one or two of the things that I've I've really, and it, it's many, Frank, but I'm just narrowing it down to two. Uh, yeah, I see every year ESPN has a five days a week where there's one athlete from each sport where they grant a child a wish, which and ESPN does a masterful job of putting these these days or, or a few days with, with these children together, what I just, just think it's amazing. And then I, I, I will say freely, I am a professional wrestling fan. And John Cena, who, um, if anybody knows how many wishes he has granted um, over the years, I think it's been over 500. I think he's been the most highly this is what celebrity has granted wishes, which I think is to be commended and not sneeze that at all. You, I mean, tell me what are your thoughts on some of these celebrities and and and, and like you just talked, you just briefly talked about Michael Jordan. Just uh, what what is that? What is that like as a far? Just looking at these celebrities just doing, it? especially like I said with John Cena, five hundred wishes. That is just that's amazing. Well, yeah, and, and and John is just amazing, and the majority of celebrities, and especially John, it's not just meet and greet with the kids and a photo opportunity and shake hands. And so they spend time with the child, uh, with mm-hmm. the family also, but with the child. And uh, now John, uh, John isn't as tough as you think, because I got a picture of why I got him on one heck of a headlock, and he's uh, <laughs> screaming. <laughs> but you know, but you know that was quite staged. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he he is just what he's done is just I I just think that cannot be overlooked, and I, I've I've always. Applaud because because he already has a hectic schedule. Um, oh when yeah, you're, yeah. When you're 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 in and out of towns every night, you probably get, he probably gets what twelve nights off a year maybe, and then he has to do interviews and then he has to wrestle and he has to work out and book his own flights and then to take time with with these kids. That is, I mean, in, in the WWE, you know, I'll even go there. They've done a lot with the Make a Wish Foundation, but the, him specifically, I just think that that is just 
amazing. And to watch, and I'm going to be, people can call me corny, Frank, for a second. To watch the kids' faces when they walk into the room or there's a phone call or the video chat or whatever. I, I just think I know how you felt when you were talking about where the idea came from. To see the looks on their faces when their hero or whatever one is in their face, you know, just, you know, just trying to add a little flavor to their life. Yeah, and, and, and my tagline, in fact, the tagline for the movie is everyone can be a hero. And John Senn is a perfect example of that. Absolutely. And, and you just said, we'll talk about a segue. Frank Shankwitz, a founder of the Make-A-Wish Foundation and the story about his life. Uh, Wishman, uh, everyone could be a hero opening June 7th out there in Hollywood there. Uh, you know you got to talk about this. So talk about how, how you were approached about the project and you just give us a give us a synopsis of what's going to go on in this movie, Frank. <laughs> Yeah, a, a five-year project of love. I was at a speaking engagement <laughs> in San Diego, okay. and uh, a, a gentleman came up to me and, and was hearing my story and said, uh, I, I want to do these uh, uh, triple three films as a studio, independent movie studio. He said, I want to do a story about your life. And I said, no, you don't. He said, yes, we do. <laughs> and I thought, he was, I thought he was talking about a documentary, and I was very flattered. He said, no, we want to do a feature motion picture. Wow. Uh, why? Well, Thought about it for a while. We, we looked at contracts, and I said, okay, but the biggest thing is I want script approval on this project because I've been involved with some other things. And Hollywood, as you know, when they do a true story, it's based on a true story, but it's not the true yes. story. Correct. <laughs> they, Correct. They have to embellish a little bit. Yes. So for two and a half years, we worked just on the screenplay. Uh, Theo Davies was a screenwriter, also the director, just a wonderful gentleman from England, and... Uh, we had finally a lot of give and take, but we got to prove in a screenplay. And then they put the rest into action, and they hired me as location scout. And one of the big things, Shannon, that I wanted to film this in Arizona. Uh, mm-hmm. Arizona doesn't give tax credits anymore to the film industry. Most films oh, okay. are made in, in New Mexico, Georgia, Missouri, or California. And I lobbied very hard because I wanted to get this group in there. You know, when Hollywood comes into the town, they infuse several million dollars into the economy. And it was for a way for me to give back to this community that had helped me so much when I was young. Mm-hmm. And we finally agreed to it, and uh, we found the locations. Uh, in, we started shooting in um, August of 2017 and completed it in, uh, a month later, in the end of October of okay. 2017. Mm-hmm. And going on the set, a quick story, um, I was also the technical advisor and consulting producer, which mm. means anybody ever been on a, a movie set, it's the most boring thing in the world, 18, <laughs> 16 hours every day except right. for Sunday. And I was one of the first to show up every morning along with a script supervisor. And we would look at the set for the day. We'd look at the dialogue, everything, to make sure it all matched so when the director came on, the actors, we could go. And beautiful little girl named Little, she's in her 20s, named Kennedy Del Toro, Mm -hmm. and she knew who I was. She knew what the movie was about, about my life story. And the third day into that, she came in the morning, said good morning, and all of a sudden she started crying, and I mean real tears. And I said, Kennedy, what's wrong? What did I do? She said, I'm a wish child. Now, Mm -hmm. we're all having, the people that were around us, we're all having a cry fest. Right. Because at 15 years old, uh, she had this very serious, almost terminal illness. Her wish was to go to uh, 
uh, Hollywood to learn how to be a script supervisor of all things. I mean, they even knew that, what that is. And when she finally went into remission, they sent her and uh, now survive a total remission and uh. just making a great career in this industry. But to have a wish child on a set with me every day was just so heartwarming, so, so much fun. We had so much fun and remain good friends today. Wow. And so when you so when we when you completed the rap on this film and everything, Frank, I, and I'm I'm I won't, you know, assume anything. I, I'm sure you you have you watched it yet or are you going to watch it at the premiere? Have you actually sat back and watched the film yet? Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, okay. I've seen it several times. Uh, you okay. know, when, once you complete a film, that's that's just that part. It took another okay. uh, year for just editing. Right, getting the right. whole thing okay. put together. It should be background sign, music, background, original score, etc. And then we did uh, some private screenings because you can make all the movies you want, but until the distributor b- picks it up, it just sets on a shelf. Right. So we did right. several screenings with distributors, and uh, also a private screening, which is just about 400 people uh, a test screening, and uh, looking for the audience reaction, and they got the reaction that the director wanted. And, uh, but they finally, the distributor picked it up just a few months ago. And as you mentioned, June 4th, we have the Hollywood red carpet premiere mm-hmm. at the Egyptian theater in Hollywood. And then several other premieres, uh, two days later and the general release at select theaters on June 7th. Wow. Well, I, I actually cannot wait to see this movie. Um, I I did not mention in uh, in your wonderful in your wonderful career that you are also a one. Of, oh, actually, I did. You're one of the top speakers out there in the world. So tell me, uh, Mr. Shankwitz, what how, how much joy you get when you're out there speaking and what you're speaking about. Can you talk to me about that a little bit? Yeah, uh, yeah. And my I'm one of the speakers that's not selling anything except the message. <laughs> And right. the message is everyone can be or how to give back. And for yes. the Make-A-Wish Foundation, for over 30 years, I was the keynote speaker at all the galas. They would send me literally all over the world, uh, mm-hmm. meet and greets and so on. And, uh, again, a gentleman said uh, several years ago, you're getting ready to retire. What are you going to do after retiring? I said, I don't have a clue. And he said, you need to get on a professional speaking circuit. And mm-hmm. mentored me a little bit and how to help that. And... I, I, like you say, I just get so much joy uh, on presentation. Um, I'm not boasting, but it's always a standing ovation. And the meet and greets are usually an hour to two hours following the mm. presentation because there's so many people in the audience that have been affected by the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Yes. Uh, aunt, uncle, mother, brother, sister, friends. Um, and so many cases, an actual wish child is now an adult in the audience. I was in Dallas, Texas, two weeks ago speaking, and uh, a gentleman there, uh, Tim Connors was his name. I later learned a blind had a service dog, and I'm talking, and he interrupted. Is that Frank Shanklitz? Is that the the Make a Wish creator? And mm. somebody said yes, and he interrupted and said, "I'm a wish child." Mm. And the place, I mean, everybody is crying. We had to pass out the clinics. Oh, and just man. had the greatest reaction talk to this, brought him up on stage, talking to him about his wish was to go. Uh, he was blind at 13, and illness took his sight, and his wish was to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa as a mm. blind person. And we, we granted that. He did that. Oh, wow. But, 
But that, wow. that, that's, that's just an example. Every place I go, I was just in San Diego uh, last week and, again, met two wish children that are now adults. So that, that's my joy. That's my, people say you never took a salary. Well, yes, I, I did not take a salary. But that's my payback, Shannon, is meeting all these people. I noticed the, the theme of this interview, and we are about five minutes before the end of the show. I want to get this question in. As I was listening to you, you were talking about your beginners, and even just, just a few minutes ago you were talking, and you correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like when someone brought Frank an idea or a suggestion, you, you seemed like you like you had that kind of what the heck, what do I have to lose kind of attitude and just jump right in. Is that accurate it just seemed like the examples you gave you just got well you know what let me try it let me just it seemed like you were just really just you know let me just go ahead and do it and see what happens is that um is that part of what makes you kind of go out there just let's see what let's see what we can do and just make it work seemed like you kind of had that with your own life and now you just kind of you know broadcasting it to the world yeah, and I've always been the go-to guy for some reason, and again, I credit that to my to Juan Delgadillo, my my father figure as a child, and my my teachers, my coaches, uh, my Air Force uh, supervisors, just everything in my life, and 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 get an idea, and one, number one, want to make sure it's a credible idea, right, and then get that idea, and okay, how do I make this work? Mm-hmm. And, and find the right people. Remember, you always hear to surround yourself with people smarter than you. Yes. <laughs> and I've wow. always done that in my work career everywhere. And, and they, they can help you develop that idea and get it to work and make sure it's something. Because my whole thing is I want to help people out. For so fortunate, all my years, people that helped me. Um, so now let's give back a little bit. Let's help them out. Absolutely. Uh, a couple more questions, and then we're going to close the show out. What's the... Um, what's the, to your knowledge? What's the, n- the most number of wishes that you granted in one calendar year? Do you happen to know that number? Oh no, I don't. I don't have that figure anymore. Okay, uh, yeah, so about, yeah. It seems like every time I look up, there's this granting, 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 granting. Is there one? And I don't want to compare one wish that that really resonates with you, like one that you just kind of like you, you can go to that place and you remember that wish that was granted. <clears throat> Oh, there's there's so many, but I will have to just uh, um, the very first official wish. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a seven year old boy, uh, Mexican boy, um, and his wish was to, well, he couldn't make up his mind on his wish. Uh, I, I was his wish granter, as we call it. They interviewed okay. the child with the permission of the family to find out what they would like, and uh, his first response was, "I want to ride in a hot air balloon." And I said, well, I can do that. Uh, I, I know somebody that owns a hot air balloon. Now, this is our first wish. This is 1981. Uh, I want to be a fireman. And I said, well, that's easy. My girlfriend, her brother, is a Phoenix fireman. I want to go to Disneyland. And I thought, oops, we hadn't really thought about a travel wish. But we made all that happen, especially the Disney wish um, went over there. And Disney had never heard of us. It took us several times before they would allow us to come in. And all we asked for was free admission to the park. This little boy is very ill in a wheelchair. Can he get to the front of the lines, etc.? And Disney did all that. And Disney wow. also gave us the press, because we had not had, we had had some press, but gave us the press we needed. And because of this little boy, his name was Frank, nicknamed Bopsy Salazar, um, 
got us the press that we needed, and now Disney being one of the biggest sponsors of Make-A-Wish Foundation, literally millions and millions of dollars over 39 years, all because of that first wish, because of Bopsy opening that door for us wow. at Disney. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, Frank, it's been a pleasure. Uh, as, as we close, I, we have about two minutes left. What I typically like to do is have my guests uh, leave maybe some type of message for This is called the movement. We talk about the movements and lives and try to motivate and inspire from wherever you want to speak from. You've got, we got two minutes. Can you just leave a, a moving positive message to, to whoever you want to talk to uh, that, that is out there listening right now? Well, as I mentioned throughout the show here, and again, Shannon, thank you very much. I really appreciate the time. But you can be a hero. You can give back to your community. It doesn't have to be uh, money, um, your time. And I'm not pushing just the Make-A-Wish Foundation. There are 1.2 million nonprofits in the United States right now. So if you do want to get a nonprofit, uh, check it out. I would also suggest look at charitynavigator.org. CharityNavigator.org. They're the watchdog for the nonprofits. They, you look up, you put in the nonprofit name and their website, and it will bring that up, and it will show you where the money is actually going. Is it going to the mission, or is it going into somebody's pockets for fancy cars, trips, meals, etc.? But just search that out. Give back when you can. I'm so fortunate because of the Make-A-Wish Foundation uh, involvement that I now sit on three different boards. One is uh, the Wounded Blue, and we are helping police officers that are injured in the line of duty. Their sick time, their vacation time runs out. People think the the uh, agency takes care of them. They don't. Once that happens, there's no salary coming in. So we're going to take care of that officer's salary. We're going nationwide on this. Also, U.S. vets. We're helping the veterans, the homeless veterans, get into housing. And a new one uh, just got a board of directors on is Broadway Hearts. And Broadway Hearts is a group of actors and actresses uh, and dancers in that chorus line, especially from the uh, Phantom of the Opera show in New York City, that goes into the Ronald McDonald houses, goes into the hospitals, entertains these kids with the Disney songs, everything. The kids just love it. But again, wow. giving back to the community. And some of my information is available on my uh, website, Wishman1, the number one, wishman1.com. It will give you information about the movie. It will also give you information. I've got my book coming out. We're just doing a, a third edition coming out uh, next week, uh, Wish Man, two words, which is available on uh, Amazon. And uh, it is the true story, not the Hollywood based on a true story. <laughs> <laughs> and if I I've am got so looking time, do, do I have time real quick? Um, Wish Very Man quick. I got about Hero. 20 seconds. Okay, wishmanhero.com, wishmanhero.com. You can go to that site, so nominate a hero. If that hero is one of the three selected, they will get to attend the red carpet premiere in Hollywood on June 4th, and uh, you will also be chosen to join us also. Frank, thank you for the movements that you have done, and I thank you for being part of my movement today. It's been an honor. Wishman1.com is the, the website. His movie, Wishman, comes out uh, June 7th. Frank, thank you very much for being a part of my show. And Shannon, thank you. Thank you. See you all next week on The Movement. Thank you for joining us for The Movement. 
Your host, Shannon D. Hughes, invites you to tune in again for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel.